Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Hey, welcome to the show. Today, my guest is Derek Dombeck. He's the founder and owner of Best REI Funding. And he's got a great story. Started out in 2003, so before, um, obviously before the global financial crisis. Started out doing houses and working a lot with banks and doing that for a number of years. And then had a big shakeup, almost lost everything in 2007 and came back, held on through that, came back 2010, things started looking up. And he dives into really how that challenge was a catalyst for learning his whole skill set that's propelled the business today. They've got a big team, team members throughout the nation. They're doing 25, 30 deals a month, both as a lender. So lending money to real estate investors to go fix and flip and improve property. And then they're doing their own deals as well. So ton of lessons throughout there. Some of the usual stuff, right? Masterminds, growing, scaling. We talked a lot about building teams and how he's built his business and delegated things and let things go, which is challenge for entrepreneurs. Talk about um, some of the markets they're operating in. Talked a lot about his vision and something that's near and dear to me, and that is creating a personal vision that then the business supports. So kind of going first with your vision of your life and then reverse engineering so that the business supports that. And Derek is big time into that. And he shares how he's done that. And it was really um, inspiring for me. He's also an author. They run masterminds, events, um, all kind of stuff. So, you know, it's just kind of the the real estate path. I think a lot of times you get into it and you start branching out into these, all, these complimentary things. And Derek's certainly done that. Um, he's up in Wisconsin, but... I think you're going to enjoy it. We talk a lot about his whole trajectory over the last 20 years in the business. And I think whatever your interest is in real estate as a passive investor, operator, whatever the case is, that you're going to learn and be inspired by the story. So we'll jump into that. Before we do, an ask for me, if you're enjoying this podcast, a five-star review on Apple helps us a whole ton. You can go in there and just leave that real quickly. That helps the reach and the um, marketing, I guess you could say, for the algorithm of this show. So five-star review means a lot to me personally. And without further ado, Let's jump into some words from our sponsors and then get into the show with Derek. Thanks, y'all. This episode is brought to you by DJE Texas Management Group, a San Antonio, Texas-based real estate investment firm with a track record of transacting on several hundred million dollars of multifamily land and industrial deals throughout Texas. DJE's been in business for over a decade and is approaching 100 team members in San Antonio. To learn more about DJE, visit djetexas.com or the link in the show notes of this episode. This episode is also brought to you by apartmenteducators.com, a complete ecosystem for professionals to learn how to find, finance, and operate large multifamily properties for profit. You can get started with a free mini course and learn more at apartmenteducators.com or visit the link in the notes. Derek, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. How are you? I'm awesome, Devin. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Looking forward to diving in uh, on all aspects of your business. Love talking with business owners. Love talking shop on real estate. 
Um, how about a little background on you for those uh, that are not already in your universe? Where are you based out of and, and how'd you get into this real estate game? So we're based out of central Wisconsin, near Green Bay, Wisconsin. Um, actually, my business partner lives in Green Bay. And uh, we got started like most people get started, but it was a long time ago. So 2003, bought some fixer-upper rental properties, and that started to cascade into more and more units. And back at that time, mid-2000s, we started building new spec homes, and then we lost damn near everything in 2007. So uh, kind of a, a pretty common story back then. The part that was not so common is my wife, Tracy, and I actually took responsibility for our actions instead of blaming the rest of the world. And sure. we we just powered through it. We dug ourselves out. And uh, there's a lot longer story to that and more than happy to dive wherever you want to dive. But we, uh, you know, we, we dug out and we we realized that using banks was a detriment to our business. We didn't have any control over our business. So we came out of that raising private money for our own deals, uh, partnered with my current business partner. And, and uh, we got to a point where we raised more private money than we had deals. Then we started lending the excess out to uh, colleagues of ours. Started as a side hustle, doing a couple loans here and there. And, and that's grown into a, a full-blown lending company, um, pumping out 20 to 25 loans a month with uh, with a really awesome staff. And uh, it feels like a little bit of a blur, Devin. Um, don't know necessarily how we ended up where we are, but it just came from hard work and never, never quit. I love it. Thank you for the overview. There's a ton in there that I, that I want to get into. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, there's just a ton that, that I can't wait to get into on that. I certainly hear you on the, on the bank side, you know, where I'm kind of always asking myself, how can we, do, how can we do our business without banks? And to some extent we have through private capital and certain deals where we're not getting any kind of bank loans. We're pretty heavy into multifamily and those haven't really figured out a way to you know, substitute $15 million of the capital stack with without a bank. But, you know, right now we've seen floating rates on some stuff really kind of skyrocket and, and uh, back to that, that reliance on the banks. I mean, and some of the deals are your biggest partner, but um, put a lot of handcuffs on you and getting you a lot of trouble too, if, if you're not careful. So I certainly appreciate that, that part of the journey. When did you got, you know, 2007 stuff, the wheels started coming off. When did you guys feel like you were starting to see the light on the other end? Was it 2010? Was it later? Yeah, yeah it was It was 2010. It was definitely a three-year um, nightmare um, just because the, it took so long. I, I ended up in foreclosure on, on a bunch of properties. Um, you know, I, I negotiate everything out with, the, with my banks, and it's really where I learned my craft. I, I lived it. Yes, so yes. Yep. when I sit down with – because with, we, we still – operate a full-time acquisition company now. So if I'm sitting down with a seller sure. that's going through problems with bankruptcy, divorce, you know, deaths, all these different things um, that make them motivated. Well, I truly can sit across the kitchen table from somebody and say, I know how you feel. You know, I've, I've been there and that's, that speaks volumes to most people. 
Uh, it's also one of the things that I focused on very heavily coming out of 2007 was learning how to talk to people. And I, I feel like it's never really discussed on most of these podcasts or just in the education space in general. But to me, it's not sexy. It's not something a, you know, a large guru can go and sell for $10,000, $30,000 product. But learning how to talk, learning how to be a legitimate salesperson and negotiate properly, everything we do in life and in business is a sales process, right down to you know, asking somebody out on a date or trying to get your kids to go to bed on time. Everything is a sales process. And that was the biggest aha that I had. The second biggest aha was I never built a network of people the first seven years, eight years in business. Um, so when the wheels came off the bus, we had nobody to turn to. Right. Moving forward, uh, once I partnered with my business partner, Jeff, and we started really building our network on a national level, then we established a, a mastermind group that we host that eventually turned into a couple more groups that we host. And that was kind of the, the nucleus for, for our growth because we could reach out to people in non-competing markets. Like we don't have anybody in our masterminds from our local area. So when we get together and when I say mastermind, it, it's not a seminar with one person at the front of the room and hundred people listening and calling it a mastermind. It, it's a true round table. We actually rent a big house and stay in it together for you know four or five days and everybody's immersed. And that, that has been so powerful. Um, Great example when COVID hit, a lot of panic in the streets. We simply oh, yeah. reached out to our whole network and the majority of people in, in our network, 2020 was their best year in business to date. You know, but it was because we were looking at it from a point of opportunity, not from a point of, of fear or loss. And uh it was it was a big, it was a big eye opener the last really the last five, six years far as building a true network. Yeah, hundred percent. So just to kind of recap what's going on today with your firms, you've got the mastermind, you've got private lending arm of the company. You guys are still buying your own inventory, fixing and flipping. Are you managing a rental portfolio? What, what else is in the mix there? Yeah, we've got a, we don't have a huge rental portfolio. Uh, the properties we do hold, I like to put, you know, tenant buyers in them on lease, lease options. And uh, nice. we've got We've got some property that we lease out, um, kind of like a boarding house. We lease out bedrooms by the week, which is targeted towards traveling professionals. Um, that cash flows very well. Uh, and then through running the, the masterminds and hosting the masterminds, we ultimately took over somebody else's conference as they kind of retired out of it. So we do host a, okay. a, conference, a conference once a year called the Generations of Wealth. And uh, that's designed to be half conference, half networking. So we we have five days of conference with speakers from nine until one. And then from one o'clock through dinner is the networking time. And, you know, we do it in Cancun, Mexico. So 
you got plenty of fun in the sun and really deep dive into growing your connections. Um, I love it. There's nothing better to accelerate things than, than face-to-face time with like-minded people. There's just, just simply no substitute. Well, the best part about it, Devin, that I, I'm proud of, it's called Generations of Wealth because I encourage people to bring their kids so that our kids right. can get to know each other and grow their own network in their preteen, teen, early 20s. And the sky's the limit for them. You know, they've got parents that are freaks like us that don't conform to what's normal. And it's really awesome, you know, so. I love it. I love it. Yeah, probably not a lot of pushback on your venue either in Cancun. That's a good way to get somebody out to a conference for sure. I love it. Uh, What are some details on that? You know, depending on the timing of this podcast coming out, you know, maybe we can kind of promote that that event if uh if you have some dates and and things like yeah, that. Yeah, it's uh it's going to be in Cancun February 27th through March 20 or March 3rd, 2023, of course. Um sure. That's the actual conference. We do encourage people to to come in the night before on Sunday to uh, you know, have the <laughs> the the pre-party or the pre-conference party, things of that nature. And uh, GOWVoyage.com is the website. So this may be last minute for some of you if, if this gets released right before the event. But um, if there's availability at the resort, we'd love to have you. Awesome. Awesome. Sounds like a great time. Thanks for sharing that. What does um, what does the company look like today? You mentioned your partner, Jeff, and, and you guys started building that network kind of out of the ashes of the global financial crisis. And obviously you've stuck it through and you're still doing real estate investing today. What does the team look like today? So the interesting part, when I met Jeff, um, he was running the Green Bay Real Estate Investor Association. That's how I met him. He had never yep. used a bank for any real estate investment. And he had, like started, he had started a couple years after me. So I started in 03, he started in 04, 05. But he had just never done it. And he had, he'd already dabbled in some private lending as a lender, he dabbled in private you know, borrowing. So when we partnered up, it, the idea was, we we're just gonna build this big flipping empire. And fairly shortly after that, um, we had people that were asking us to start mentor, mentoring them and coaching them. And we took that on. Um, we, we did that for a while. It, it, it turned out to be less fun than we expected it to be. Um, and, and that's not a negative thing. It just, it, it was a real time suck and it wasn't what we truly were passionate about. So moving forward, now that we've got the, the lending business built up, um, Predominantly, Jeff kind of oversees that. I oversee the real estate acquisition. We we host our masterminds together, conference together. But we've got a team of, uh, including Jeff, myself, my wife, I believe we're at a team of 16 people running all this. And we've got really incredible staff. And we don't have an office. A lot of people are shocked when I say that, but we literally work out of our home offices. Uh, Jeff and I are 90 miles apart from each other, so we're not in each other's back pocket, which I feel is actually a very big positive. Our staff is scattered all over the United States and uh, three VAs in the Philippines. So, I love it. Yeah, you could totally do that today. You got what are you guys using like 
Slack or any, what are some of the tech tools that enable you to have no uh, office? We use, overhead, we use Teams. Nice. We use Teams for teams, yeah. most of our interaction back and forth. And then our, our software programs that we have for CRMs um, and for our, like our mortgage software that we use for our loans, all of that is real time. So, you know, anybody makes a change, it's, it's just automatic. And yeah, it's, it's, there's, there's pluses and minuses to not having an office, as we all know, right? Less overhead. We don't have to have people in our physical city. But there is also those times where you, you kind of wish you had that that one-on-one get-to-see-each-other interaction <clears throat> instead of just Zoom or Teams meetings. So it, it's it's got some drawbacks, too. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword for, for sure. Um, we just moved back into the office after a period of being remote for a number of months while we renovated our, our office. And so, um, yeah, it's a mixed bag. It's, it's not a clear winner one way or the other, but it is pretty cool to have the tech and the flexibility to do that. Now, are you guys, you have people that are on your team that are boots on the ground in some of these remote markets where you're, I say remote, not your backyard where you're operating or did you just hire them in another market because they were a good candidate for the job? Um, really, most of them came to us as referrals from other people that we know, like, and trust. And it didn't sure. necessarily matter to us where they lived, depending on their job. Uh, as far as our acquisitions in Wisconsin, that I've got a full-time ac- uh, project manager and uh my, we only lend through our own fund. We only lend in the boundaries of the state of Wisconsin. We also have a, a partner company that we can lend out to about 26 other states at this point. But if it's a property that we have in our portfolio of loans that we have to deal with ourselves, I can be anywhere in the state within two and a half hours. So we just deal with it. Uh, ourselves and and honestly we have a very very low default rate but if we do have to default we take it out of the lending company and we put it into the real estate company and we go do what we have to do finish the project or liquidate it um or put it into our portfolio if we want to hold it so so we've we've got that sealed up where most lenders don't most lenders are just panicking if they have to take a property back and uh you know we Two, there's two reasons for this. The first one, as I mentioned, we don't use banks. We also don't use any capital from any type of bank or institution. So all of the money we've raised is real people. And we want to give them an asset that's safe, you know, protecting the fund itself. And that's part of why we don't really go outside of the borders of Wisconsin yet for our own personal fund. And the other practical part of it is we've not taken over the entire market share that we can within our boundaries yet. So why, why go somewhere else until, and I say when, cause we will, we will be number one at some points that that's the goal, but um, it's a little bit of nuances in there that not a lot of people that are familiar with the lending space really understand. The ability to take it back and I assume it's some version of you pay off the lending entity, make that, that whole purchase it with your acquisition operations entity. And you just, you start on, on you know, pick up the rehab wherever it is. And you got the, the skill set and the team to be able to do that, which is a real, uh, 
real advantage. I mean, you know, you said it, these lenders don't, no lender wants a deal back if they're not, they're not operators, but in some cases you're probably like, Hey, that's probably a pretty good deal for us to kind of annoying to jump in midway on another GC's job, but you could do it. Right. You can, I mean, full disclosure, if, if people are going to try and hurt you and, and, you know, we've got a couple of them where they just, they defaulted and they, they went back in and trashed the properties. And, you know, those are, those are bad deals. We're going to lose some money on those. But in general, if you have to take one back, number one, we, we try to avoid actual foreclosure at all costs. So we work with our clients to take deed and lieu. Uh, we have actually taken a, a property and deeded it subject to the, the, our loan to one of our good borrowers from one of our bad borrowers. We let the good borrower finish it out with a guaranteed amount of profit off the top of the sale. And if there is a, a loss, the original guarantor is still on the hook, but that gives our good borrowers um, basically a free deal, right? And it, it avoids foreclosure. It helps all parties. So we've, we've yep. done that a handful of times. The ones that we actually have to foreclose on and just hand over to the attorney are the ones that just stop communicating. And if they're going to no longer communicate, we have no choice. But we, our goal is to never foreclose. It really is. And yes, in some of those cases, we can make significantly more money by taking the property away. But we'd much rather have that long-term client than a one-off windfall. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And if you're effectively your own bank, I mean, you're, you're raising capital, you're deploying it, you're able to do some of those creative things like you mentioned, which creates a lot of opportunity. And I would imagine a lot of speed of execution too, right? It's not going through loan committee for six weeks. If it's on you and your partner's desk, you make decision that afternoon and, and execute, right? Yeah. So the way it's set up now with our team, um, a lot of times it's not even my partner or I making the decision. Uh, the team is is that good at this point. And, and there's oversight, of course. So we, we, wanna, we don't want to take our eye off the ball, but- Of course. You know, an average month for us now is 20 to 25 loans going out the door. And it's just bigger than what my business partner, I could or want to um, deal with. You know, that's that's why the staff is so incredible, like the front end sales and, and everybody all the way through. But ultimately, we, we've toyed with this back and forth. You know, do we grow bigger? Do we stay where we are? Um, do we even pull back a little bit? And there's pluses and minuses. I mean, for your listeners, a lot of people think bigger is better. It, it doesn't grow incrementally. Your profits don't grow incrementally. Um, it causes new problems. And so we, we have to weigh that out. And, and the other part of that is, you know, we, we lead, a, a, our lives are really focused on our, our personal vision. What we want our personal lives to look like. And then we built our businesses to fit within the goals of our personal lives, meaning many, many, many people build a monster business and they they lie to themselves and say, well, I'm just going to work really hard for a few years or 20 years, and then I'll be able to enjoy life. Well, we don't really believe in that. We believe in we're living life now and money isn't everything. To me, I'd rather have more time available with my kids when they're young and my wife while she still likes me a little bit and all these things, right? So 
that's that's where we kind of differ um, from many many people, and and honestly, that's what we spend a lot of time in our masterminds talking about. So I can run our business. Um, the last couple summers, we've taken five to six week long RV trips with our, with my kids, with my wife, and I can run our business on a couple hours a day. You know, that's that's living to me. What was the spark of that? This kind of designing this lifestyle, and you know, I, I went through something very similar. But it's like there's really only one avenue to that, and that's that's entrepreneurship outside of some windfall inheritance or something like that. But what, what was the spark of that for you and you and your family? Twofold, I think, when we went through all the financial struggles we went through and came out the other side you know, we know we never want to go back through that again. Um, the second part was honestly, you know, if I got it real with you, it was me being a, a big dumbass and working seven days a week and, and kind of having my peers at a mastermind tell me, listen, man, you're, you're not doing this for your family. You're doing this to your family. You're, you're hurting your family, wow. even though in your own mind, you're saying, well, I'm, I'm doing all this for them so they can have the nicer things and we can go on vacations and we can have nicer cars and all this stuff. Your kids don't want all that stuff. They want you. And, and that slap across the face hit pretty hard. It was the, one of the best things that ever happened to me was my peers, you know, doing that and telling me that. So I live in, a, you know, the upper Midwest. Honestly, I don't need to make $200 million a year to live the lifestyle we want to live. Um, and I would challenge anybody, regardless of where they live, you, I don't think you necessarily need as much money as you maybe think you do. Um, there's other there's other things. There's Money is important, no doubt, but when do you have enough? When is enough enough? And you don't really get that answer if you don't figure out your personal vision and what you really want your life to look like. I feel like I'm preaching a little bit here, Devin. <laughs> Sorry. I love it. That's kind of what I wanted to get to. Um, and I, pre I appreciate you kind of going deep on the details here because we could talk tactics all day about what, what software you're using or what, you know, what you're doing to drive margins up on your flips and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, it's kind of comes down to this why we're, we're doing this. And I mean, one of the reasons I do the podcast, I just like to talk to... <laughs> this small percentage of population that are, that are like-minded, right. And these kind of crazy entrepreneurs that don't fit in other places in society. And so, you know, I, I absolutely resonate with your story of like, Hey, I have to go build my own thing. And a lot of that comes through pain, you know, de determining where you want to be. So I, I love what you said about share, shared about the mastermind and being pushed. I've been pushed in, in a lot of similar ways by, by groups that I'm a part of, and I'm forever grateful for, for that. Um, but the ability to design this life first and then reverse engineer the business to serve it is, is such a powerful concept. And so I, you know, I didn't know that that's why you built your business, but I'm, I love hearing about it. So, so thank you for, for sharing that. Um, you know, going back to kind of family time and, and everything, that's a big focus for us. You do the you do the long trip in the summer. What are some other activities and, and trips and everything and or whatever that that being a business owner affords you? So we actually host an event every year called RV Ria, which started as kind of a joke between me and another guy that 
we said, hey, let's just pick a, a great place every summer. Whoever wants, there's no structure. There's nothing planned. It's just, yeah. we're going to be at this RV resort for a week. If you want to come join us, join us. So we've done that for four years now. And um, you know, last year we were in Kentucky and we had about 65 people there from all over the country. And that kind of kicks off our, our summer long RV trip. And you know, last year we threw a dart at the map and said, well, we're going to start and you know, we're from Wisconsin to Kentucky. And we'd never been up into upstate New York. We've got a real estate friend that lives up there, invited us up for the 4th of July. So we said, well, again, no real plans in between. We kind of had a final destination. And those are really great trips for us, um, especially as our kids are, you know, mine are 16, soon to be 12 and, and five. So they're, they're, they're in that age range where most of them still like me most of the time. And uh, I want to get those experiences while we can. And then our other events, like the Generations of Wealth, my my kids work for that event. They help for that event. Uh, my oldest is on the committee. She helps plan everything. We've, we've incorporated our kids into our businesses, um, you know, game night, having fun playing business type of games, cash flow, uh, the cash flow game we play with our kids, Monopoly, things like that gets them thinking. And uh, the probably the best part about our trips is we usually incorporate them with our real estate friends from all over the country. So we we typically are going to go like we got a lot of friends in Georgia and, you know, the kids have their kids as friends. So those are easy trips. Maybe we go do Disney World together with with some of those or or other things. And uh but the really probably the dumb one um, that you might get a kick out of being from Texas is we uh, we own bucking bulls that we bought into a few years ago while we were sitting in a hot tub in Las Vegas drinking beer. And so <laughs> we we travel around the country going to rodeos and, and bucking bull events. And uh, we've got actually one of our bulls is going to be at a, a PBR event this this weekend. So. We've met a lot of great people um, in that industry, and I, I got to tell you the truth: there was a lot of whiskey and beer drink in that <laughs> industry too. Um, so, absolutely, yeah, it's a good time. What, uh, okay, you got to tell me on this bucking bull. Is this like a syndication where you're going in and hopefully your bull wins some of the purses, and then you, there's a distribution? Like, how, how does that work? That's awesome. It's really similar to the horse racing industry. It's it's all about genetics. You're, you're buying an animal at a very young age based on its genetics, and you're hoping that it does well through its competition years to where somebody wants to pay you big money to breed to that animal. That's a very short version of it. Um, we yeah. don't do it to get rich or make money. In fact, if we break even, we consider that a very good year. But it was already a hobby of ours, you know, going to events as fans. And once we became owners, uh, we got to become friends with all the people we used to watch on TV and kind of idolize a little bit. And, you know, my bulls are trained by a former PBR rider who still holds, I think the eighth most qualified rides in history. So, you know, it's a good time. It's just fun. Oh, that's a lot of fun. That's a lot yeah. of fun. Just, to, just to be around it. That's I love it. Thanks for sharing that. Um, I want to kind of finish up. We could talk real estate specifics, but I, I really been interested a lot lately, you know, and how people are structuring their family lives. So thank you for sharing that. And then 
growing a business and, and this handoff for entrepreneurs, it's, it's pretty difficult. You know, this concept of who, not how is, is a great concept. A lot of people talking about that, but going from a solopreneur or producer to building teams that can execute well, what, what are some things you say to that person that's starting their journey, or maybe they're a one man band and they want to scale out? What, what has helped you guys make that very important transition? We, we've made every mistake you can think of yeah. uh, making that transition. And most of it was because being a, a pig headed entrepreneurial person that wants to micromanage everything. A lot of us really don't want to let go of, of some control. The reality is nobody's going to ever do it as good as you, but you can't scale that way. And if you can hire staff that can do it 75 or 80% as good as you, and you get one or two of them or three of them, plus your own efforts, you start to scale. And yes, there's going to be mistakes. Yes, there's going to be things that you know bother you. Uh, we were told we don't want employees. Many people are told that. Employees suck. They they just suck the life out of you. They're terrible. They don't work. They rob. They steal. They cheat. And that's just like people talking about the bad tenants, right? Why do people talk about bad tenants? Because they're interesting. Why do people talk about bad employees? Because they're interesting. Nobody talks about the majority of tenants are great. The majority of employees are great. And when you twist your psychology around a little bit on it and you give them a chance, you know, hire slow, fire fast. I, it's a, it's a great mantra. Yep. Um, you know, for a while we, we hired slow and fired slow, giving them, you know, we'll give them more time. They'll figure it out. Um, our mistake, you know, we made plenty of them, but ultimately I couldn't live my vision with the free time I have, if, if I was trying to be a solopreneur, it's, there's only 24 hours in a day and I get paid whether I'm at work or not. There's mailbox money coming in and there's people overseeing it. So that's, that's probably the advice I would give is, is as you progress, get out of your own way. hundred percent. And I appreciate you starting clear path A to B up and to the right, like we'd want it to be, um, but you've done it. And then once you kind of get a taste of that, you can, you can start getting better and, and strengthening that muscle to get to the point where you are today. We got team members all over the country executing well, because you're paid as an entrepreneur for the results. That's it. Right. Yeah. That's it. Um, I love it. Well, Derek, this is, this has been really great getting a glimpse into your business and, and how you structured it and, the, the, the ups and downs. If somebody wants to connect with you and learn more about your organization, how can they do that? Um, well, there's one thing I'd love to do, Devin, if I could give away something to your listeners. Absolutely. Um, so I've got a book that's being released next week that I co-authored with a bunch of other awesome authors. It's being put out by a, a man named Kyle Wilson. And if you don't know who Kyle Wilson is, he was Jim Rohn's business partner. And most people know who Jim Rohn was. So that book is going to come out next week as far as, you know, the, the paper copy being sold on Amazon, things like that. But I'm going to give your listeners the, the digital version as soon as I get it available, um, which likely will be before this is released or as this is being released. All you got to do is just send me an email, my direct email, Derek at bestreifunding.com. 
and um, just say, hey, I heard you on the show. I heard you on Devin's show. Put me on that list. Love to get the book. I'm also authoring my own book, uh, which is falling a few months behind. Not real happy about that. But those same people, I will, as soon as that one's out, I'll put that out as well. And that's all about how to be a private lender. A to Z, written by basically a redneck with a high school diploma. I often joke that I have a PhD, my public high school diploma. And uh, But it, anybody can be a lender. And that's really why I wanted to write that book. Because I, I had that, that self-doubt for years. Um, and it's, it's not that tough. So, and uh, the conference, I think I mentioned earlier, gowvoyage.com. We'd love to have you. So that's it. Outstanding. Derek, thanks so much for your time and for peeling back the curtain on your, your business and your journey. If you're listening, we're going to link to that in the show notes and you can uh, scroll down there to the description and click through and connect with Derek there. But uh, really appreciate you jumping on today. Wish you guys success in the year ahead. It's been my pleasure. And thank you so much for having me. All right. Thanks so much. Take care. Thank you for listening to the DJE podcast. For more information, please go to DJETexas.com.